Welcome to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. This podcast is provided by the Wellness and Health Action Team, also known as WET, from Portland State University's Center for Student Health and Counseling, or SHAC. We're located in the Health Promotion Suite on the third floor of the University Center building on campus. Our purpose with this podcast is to discuss a variety of health-related topics in a way that will be accessible for a non-traditional campus. My name is Bella, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Josh, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs. And my name is Quinn. My pronouns are he, him, his. We're all members of the Wellness and Health Action Team, and we'll be your hosts for this podcast. Let's get into it. Before we start this week's episode, it is important to mention that this episode has mentions of suicide, murder, and transphobia. That being said, the information in this episode is conducive to the liberation of trans people and the safety of the trans community. If you are not transgender yourself, I truly recommend you listen with reverence to the entirety of this episode so that those of us who are trans can see greater support and levels of safety. Hello and welcome back to What's Up, Wellness from the Third Floor. I'm Josh, I use they them pronouns, and I'm going to be joined by Quinn who uses he him pronouns and is someone who you've probably heard from on our previous episodes. Today, November 20th, is Trans Day of Remembrance, and this whole week has been Trans Awareness Week. In this episode, we are going to be recognizing our trans ancestors, confronting harmful legislation and culture, going over some resources to sustain and empower our community, and we are going to be saying the names of the trans people murdered in the United States this year. Before we jump in, Quinn and I want to recognize that we are only two trans people within a large and resilient community. Our perspectives are confined to the identities we hold and the lives we live, which we'll get into later in this episode. Please hold that in mind as we move forward. Now let's get into it. Portland State University is located in the heart of downtown Portland, Oregon, in Multnomah County. We honor the indigenous people whose traditional and ancestral homelands we stand on. The Multnomah, Cathlamet, Clackamas, Tumwater, Watlala Bands of the Chinook, the Tualatin Kalapuya, and many other indigenous nations of the Columbia River. It is important to acknowledge the ancestors of this place and recognize that we are here because of the sacrifices forced upon them. In remembering these communities, we honor their legacy, their lives, and their descendants. We also want to recognize and honor the lives of our trans ancestors who have paved the way for our liberation. Whether bound by blood or by bond, we are connected to our trans siblings that have come before us. Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera fought to ensure our recognition as trans people, which continues to empower us today. Ancestors such as Gladys Bentley laid the foundation of culture, which has impacted more than just the queer community. We take this moment to honor our trans ancestors of all genders, who have stood in their power so that we may stand in ours. One topic that is very dear to my heart is advocacy for transgender youth. Every single one of us trans adults was once, whether we realized it at the time and transitioned in our adolescence or not, a transgender youth. It's such a cliche, but growing up is hard. And it's even harder when you have any form of minority status in this country, and especially if you have intersecting identities. In survey work done in 2019 by the Trevor Project, 118,803 high school students were polled, and of that, 1.8% of youth identified as transgender. 
um, which while may seem like a small number, is more than double of the previously estimated population of only 0.7%. That means that nearly 2% of our youth identify under the transgender umbrella, and that's only the ones who feel comfortable enough to share that um, identity with in a survey. Many transgender youth face discrimination not just at school or within the community where they live, but also at home in family systems that do not recognize their identity or who are anti-LGBT+. Within the survey, they found that within the past year, 35% of transgender youth had attempted suicide, compared to only 7% of their cisgender peers. Being trans is not an identity of pain or negativity. The statistic and others like it simply show the systemic and social harm we are inflicting on our trans youth. Of the youth surveyed, 67% or two in three stated that someone had tried to convince them to change their sexual orientation or gender identity, something we see in study after study being not a factually supported possibility. Gender and sexuality are innate to a person and cannot be changed by outside forces. Queer youth represent 20 to 40% of the houseless youth population. Keep in mind that only 2% of the youth population even identify as transgender. Um, and regardless of where the true percentage lies within that statistic, this is an inexcusably high number. Transgender youth who are subjected to houselessness face increased likelihood of suicide, substance abuse, and sexual violence. This is not okay. While no one should be facing discrimination and violence, um, this is especially true of kids. They desperately need that time to reach their developmental potential in a healthy, safe, and supportive environment. The statistics that we see within our trans youth are just a reflection of the moral and socialized stigma that have been placed on the transgender identity. If you are a caregiver out there, please be willing to listen to your youth. Children are so smart and they deserve to have their voices heard. It has been shown time and again that children are able um, and do understand their own gender. If a child comes to you and expresses their desire to be seen another way than what they were assigned at birth, we need to have the humility to listen to them. There are some wonderful resources out there to help queer and trans youth, all of which will be included in links below. One being the Trevor Project, another the Trans Youth Equality Foundation, which has great resources for caregivers. And a local Portland resource who I adore, Smirk, or the Sexual and Gender Minority Youth Resource Center. They're a program who is won by New Avenues for Youth, a group who works with at-risk and houseless youth. Please read up on trans youth experiences, donate to funds if you're able, and educate um, yourself and others around trans kids. For those that are caregivers or want to be a caregiver someday, do your research. Um, realize that by taking on the responsibility of nurturing a child, you're signing up for the possibility of supporting this being and becoming the best version of whoever they are. And being transgender might just be a part of that. So I've asked my colleague and dear friend Quinn, who uses he, him pronouns, to join us for a conversation around harmful anti-trans legislature and culture. Hey there, Quinn. Hey Jude, thank you for letting me be a part of this episode. I'm super excited to like get in into all of this and really dialogue about it. Yeah, me too. Um, so um, we're gonna start off talking about gender identity disorder and gender dysphoria. Oh yes. Um, so I've said it a million times on the show by now, but I'm a total psych nerd. And one of the awful um, things about psychology is just that we, we have to acknowledge that it's built around um, all of the isms. Um, so like it's, it's racist and homophobic and transphobic and all, all of those uh, awful things. Um, uh, I, like its initial roots. And so it's really been, you know, decades of trying to weed all of that out. Um, I just like pulled up some like information just so that people can kind of like understand um, 
where a lot of um, the discrimination kind of, where a good portion of the discrimination kind of like starts coming from um, and all of that, all that nonsense. Um, but the idea of um, trans like gender folks or the uh, being trans being pathologized um, has been around um, medically um, like since the 1980s. Um, however, like the Western history of misunderstanding and persecution of queer and transgender individuals dates back much, much farther. Um, the American Psychiatric Association or the APA um, has the DSM or the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders used by mental health practitioners across the United States to assess and diagnose conditions in clients. Um, when that DSM-3 was published in 1980, that was the first time that gender identity disorder was used. Um, it was further fleshed out in the DSM-4, published in 1994, um, which doubled down on GID and continued to offer it as the official diagnostic name for that incongruence between the assigned sex and gender. Um, the current um, DSM, or the DSM-5, um, was published in 2013, um, and they did uh, a switcheroo where they kind of uh, renamed it from um, gender identity disorder, GID, to gender dysphoria, which is what most people commonly um, hear it, you know, the, the pathologization of transgender people like talked about and called. Um, and I pulled up all of that um, information and I'll read off all the fun diagnostic um, info on that. Uh, I wanna just say that and acknowledge that um, homosexuality um, or like, you know, other queer identities were in the DSM, um, previous editions as, you know, pathologized things as well. Um, but homosexuality was removed um, prior to the publication of the DSM-5. Um, yet the discrimination against transgender people is, is still there. Um, so to like really just break it open and look at exactly what it says. Um, the DSM-5 defines gender dysphoria in adolescents and adults as a marked incongruence between one's experienced and expressed gender and their assigned gender lasting at least six months as manifest by at least two of the following. Um, a marked incongruence between one experienced or expressed gender and primary and or secondary sex characteristics or um, in young adolescents, the anticipated sex characteristics. Um, so like what people would, you know, think of um, like a biologically female person like getting um, when they hit puberty or a biologically um, assigned like male um, getting at puberty. Um, a strong desire to be rid of one's primary and or secondary sex characteristics because of marking congruence with one's experience and or expressed gender, or in young adolescents, a desire to prevent the development of the anticipated secondary sex characteristics, a strong desire for the primary and or secondary sex characteristics of the other gender, uh, a strong desire to be of the other gender or some alternative gender different from one's assigned gender, a strong desire to be treated as the other gender or some alternative gender different from one's, gender, uh, one's assigned gender, um, and a strong conviction that one has the typical feelings and reactions of the other gender or some alternative gender different from one's assigned gender. So there's a thing called the ICD-11 or the International Classification of Disease that's used by um, the World Health Organization or WHO um, The with their recent, most recent publications that ICD-11 does not include any gender or sexually, uh, sexuality related material in their pathologization sections whatsoever. Um, so the US is lagging behind a big portion of the rest of the industrialized world. Um, wow. uh, yeah, it's 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 wild. Um, and one of the main concerns that you hear um, from low-key transphobic um, healthcare practitioners, and I'm saying you know, transphobic, not necessarily like accusing you of being like you inherently in your heart are malicious and hate us, but you're ignorant, and by being ignorant, you're causing us harm. Um, so transphobic healthcare practitioners. 
um, their main argument is that, um, oh, well, we have to label it um, as, you know, some kind of mental health diagnosis so that insurance will build it, uh, will build it um, and be able to like provide services for folks. Um, but with the ICD-11, as we can see in like other countries, um, it being, uh, being transgender is seen as a health concern. Um, so if that trans individual wants, wants to pursue medical transition, um, they can, and they can, you know, pursue that. Same with like, um, you know, if a, uh, like, like a gay man or um, other like, any, you know, straight people too want to pursue like, like, like prep or some, like some other kind of like sexual health um, material, you can go to the doctor and just do that because it's a right. health concern. It's not some, it's not some pathologist thing. It's just, you're taking care of yourself. Um, so uh, that means that no, our identities are not a disorder. Um, and yes, insurances can still be billed for care, um, regardless of slapping some um, stigmatized label on us. Um, so there's so many like ramifications um, that like come from the pathologization of like our identities. Um, and like one thing, um, it, it completely like erases by saying, oh, it's you have this, this thing. It, it completely like does not acknowledge that it's a it's a personal and social identity. Like the, like trans culture is a thing. It is a social identity. Is a personal like identity. Like I am a trans man. Like that is like who I am. It's not. I'm. I am not. I am not just gender dysphoria. You know. It's it's you. You are a person and you are part of a collective. Um, and it also the, the thing that makes me most upset as somebody that wants to like go into. Um, like mental health care practice, like, you know, work. Um, it places the responsibility on the trans individuals and not on the moral and like social environment um, that stigmatizes us. So that like perceived like morality um, and like the perceived like social like comfort. I, I think that that's the one that just gets me. It's like, oh, you, this is your, this is your problem because you have this mental disorder. Um, yeah. Right. Instead of like actually taking responsibility for it as a social thing, like we've already identified that gender is a social construct. Why are we being labeled especially different for um, existing in very much like a similar way that every other person does by accept by um, adopting that um, gender into uh, into ourselves into our expression in one way or another um it doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me um and it is a clear like um it's something like you said like easy for um bigots or um haters or just um, ignorant people um to point to and be like oh well science says you don't exist or you're sick you know, mm -hmm. um, and that is so like actively harmful. Like it invalidates so much of our experience um, and um, just shoves us into an uh, easily labeled box, like more so than like, you know, like we we created transness, you know, like um, the trans community, like the um, our huge like spectrum continuum of genders. We as trans people have created that because, um, we've been shoved into this tiny box as um, gender dysphoric people, you know? Um, so it, I, I really agree with a lot of your sentiments, a lot of your anger and rage, and it is um, very frustrating. I was diagnosed with, at the time it was labeled gender identity disorder, um, without my knowledge, um, just by talking to my therapist about being trans, about, um, first discovering um, my non-binary identity. 
um, that's not okay. You know, that's not informed consent. That's not me agreeing to this process. Um, and honestly, like, it's such a privilege to have gotten it on accident, um, as opposed to so many people have to um, really work to get that diagnosis, to get the gender affirming um, surgeries or hormones that they want. Um, they're still, we're still being, um, like, kept, um, there's still that gatekeeping going on. It, it absolutely, yeah, having to have a diagnosis to, like, pursue, um, and just to, like, state, yes, um, like, it does, it does vary state by state, um, like, where mm -hmm. you're at, and, like, what, like, the diagnostic, uh, what the criteria to, per, like, getting, um, if you're wanting to pursue medical transition, um, what yeah. the gatekeeping passcodes are for that, right. um, but I, yeah, there's, there's so much, um, like stigma, um, that, that follows you. I, I, if you're, um, like an abuse survivor at all, um, there's, um, still like a bunch of misconceptions about, um, and like stigmatization that like, depending on like the type of abuse, it could like be the reason why you are this way. And it, that's not the case, like sexuality and gender are not dictated by, Trauma. outside forces yeah exactly mm -hmm. and so and so having that be like a whole like like a whole nother layer of things that like trans people have to like like stress over like oh are you going to believe me one that I'm a survivor and two are you going to uh, acknowledge my identity and allow me to be able to pursue the health care that I need um right it's it's it is it is something that we need to desperately reform um like very, very badly. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's, um, it's archaic. We know, like we, we, as queer people, like we're taught like the outcry that happened over um, homosexuality being in the DSM. Um, why, why are we not pushing for this same change? Why are we not pushing for this same reform? Um, and we are, of course, like we so are like, but why um, let's, let's make this happen. You know, like let, let's really push for let's, it. Let's continue to push for it. Get all like, right. And like the, the goal with a lot of it, a lot of the advocacy, I'm going to just say it, like most of the advocacy is from other like trans folk. We're all out mm -hmm. there throwing our hands around and yelling and being like, Hey, look at us. Like, listen, like we're people too. Um, it, it really takes, you know, people in more positions of privilege, like our cis mm -hmm. allies, to be like, hey, yeah. like, why, why are we doing this to them? This isn't okay. Um, so y'all out there, like, please, um, please, like, just, you know, think about that, uh, if, if you can. And um, yeah. if you're also going into, um, you know, a mental health care field like me, like, let's, let's really <laughs> harass the APA, please <laughs> get this right. fixed. Yeah, let's continue to educate ourselves so that we can properly care for um, the trans community and um, push for more and more care because um, we don't have enough. It's clear. Um, let's get some change happening. Um, uh, fantastic. So let's move on to blood donation. So um, though many may think of the gay ban on blood donation as something exclusive to gay men, it impacts people of all genders and sexualities. And it perpetuates a stereotype, which we talked about, that pathologizes queer people. As a non-binary person who is assigned male at birth, I cannot donate blood. Even when I get tested regularly or have the information um, of those test results on hand. 
So um, the although um, recently the American Red Cross has loosened its restriction on this ban, um, it has only done so, um, has only decreased it to a three month time period if you are a man having sex with another man. And I want to be very clear that these guidelines are not clear and people of all genders and sexualities are turned away if they are queer and having sex. Yeah, if, if, if it, it really like they just care about like, do you have an M on your on your ID, regardless of what your gender actually is. And if you do, uh, are you sleeping with people who also have an M on their ID? And if you do, then nope. Um, I thought it was just so infuriating. Um, I, I donated like plasma, I donated blood before previously. Um, and, and as a trans man, when I went through the legal process of changing that arbitrary letter from an F to an M, um, I'm, I'm gay. I, the people that I have sex with are, are you know, other gay men. Um, and the second that I did that, even though not, literally nothing else changed, like I, I've been totally fine previously. Second I did that, it's, I, I'm, I can't, I can't do those things anymore. It's, it's absurd. <laughs> and it, it really like, um, <laughs> Because like so little of um, on their website on the blue car on the red sorry red cross um, red website um, they talk about how only like thirty eight ish percent is of the American population can donate blood like <laughs> how many people are you ex are we excluding by not allowing um, queer people um, and um, namely men who have sex with men um from doing this you know like uh, i am an i am a universal donor for blood type like i could i could help a lot of people myself um i it's absurd that um and i would love to you know i would love to donate blood oh my goodness <laughs> oh yeah no i uh, would right like just think like they're they're here if you've been on psu's campus um obviously not this year but um, in times past, we always, it feels like there's always the American Red Cross there and they're always out there like handing out um, like cards and like, oh, like, please come donate. And I'm always like, oh, have you lifted the ban yet? And they, they give you that look and like hand you the card and they're like, you should call them. And it's like, like, just just let people donate. And, and if you look at like the, right? Cause like originally that ban got put in place because a blood donation place messed up, not queer mm -hmm. people. We did not do anything wrong. They no. messed up. And and they tainted a bunch of people with um you know with with blood that had um you know pathogens in it uh mm -hmm. and and then as a reactionary thing they just slapped a ban on all of us right um so like I don't know it, it's it's that's just hate and and discrimination and plain bigotry uh, it's not it's not actually like a health concern and if you yeah. also look at the statistics now um. HIV, which was the, the, the big concern um, that, they, that they said was the reason why this existed. Um, HIV rates are, are higher now. I mean, not like super uh, higher, but they are higher in heterosexuals than they are in like queer relationships. So are we going to then change it to a heterosexual ban? I don't think so, Not nor should we at all. I'm not saying no. that, but I'm just, <laughs> just like the, uh, like the the absurdity of it is is a little a little wild yeah no I, I absolutely agree it's a holdover from the HIV and AIDS epidemic something that like you said like um our listeners please 
um, do some of your own research around this. Um, um, like you said, like that's something that we did not cause ourselves. Um, and it, it's a holdover from the um, HIV and AIDS epidemic, you know, like we are not like, and, and it's something, it's a holdover that impacts people still living with that you know like we um <laughs> we can't a lot of us queer people can't donate to the other queer people that need blood you know yeah yeah um I, so it, it, it's been um i it's absurd it's um a totally um it's outdated and like like you said like the rate um if we are going to update it um at all it should not be um a ban on heterosexual people, um, even though the HIV and AIDS rates are raising in those communities, are rising, sorry. Um, and um, we should be moving towards like, just um, maybe you do an STI test, you know, maybe you do a blood test, a little blood test beforehand, you know, um, or they keep a little bit like, set it aside, you know, test a little bit, set, set what you donate aside and you can donate that when it comes back clear, you know, because we should really be able to be like, hello, this is my paperwork saying that um, I am I, um, um, I'm free of these number of diseases, please let me <laughs> donate, you know? Yeah, and hope save lives, yeah. Yeah, um, it, it doesn't, it, it, it's absurd to me. Um, but let's move on um, to um, another um, medical topic. Um, the, um, so in August, um, in the heat of the pandemic, um, the Trump administration implemented federal legislature that allows medical care providers to turn away transgender individuals. This legislation is harmful and even deadly as COVID-19 continues to rise across the country. Um, so this legislation, like the um, Blue Cross, uh, yeah, sorry, the Red Cross legislation of the worst. Uh, so um, this legislation, like the Red Cross legislation, um, is explicitly vague and allows doctors and other providers to decide how and when they discriminate and turn away trans um, patients. Um, so in my own experience, finding healthcare providers that are knowledgeable about my health as a trans person is very, very, very difficult. Um, my experience, this experience is often a common one. Um, and with this new federal legislation, trans people have an even greater obstacle to healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most um, medical programs only require a few hours of dialogue around transgender healthcare to get your certification. I will like in your process of getting your, um, your MD, um, mm -hmm. which, uh, isn't enough to even go into detail about one like umbrella of like trans experience. Like if you're right, if we're wanting to just like stereotype umbrella, trans masculine, like trans feminine, non-binary folks, like I, you can't even go into detail about like one like group, you know? Uh, right. It's, it's so, it's wild. Um, yeah. And it, it's honestly horrible timing, <laughs> you know? Um, oh, for real. Um, we really, um, like, when more people need greater access to healthcare um, and doctors and nurses and medicine um, because of COVID-19, not only because of the virus itself, but because of how it's affected our communities and our economy, um, why are we turning people away? You know, like, that is, it is an explicit act of transphobia of hatred and it is honestly costing lives um 
and it, it's absurd. It, uh, it, it, um, um, I, I am gra grateful to have voted this person implementing these changes out of office and I'm grateful for that smooth, safe, safe and peaceful transition um, fr um, from him out of office to our new president elect um, because this is this is shameful. Like this legislation is shameful and this sh should be making people um, feel bad. Like I feel bad to be an American because of this legislation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the, the ramifications of it too, it's not just like you can be a trans person um, and not explicitly get denied care. But I, I know off the top of my head, I can think of so majority of the trans people that I know have faced some type of like blatant discrimination within the healthcare mm -hmm. setting, whether that's mental health care or like the more the physical um, health care setting. Um, and it, it has ramifications of people are, are anxious or, or sometimes straight up terrified of having to go in for care. Yeah. Um, so like regardless of if they're actually going there in person and getting like turned away at the door, some people just are taking it as, oh, you don't want me, so I shouldn't even try. And that's, I'm not, that is not on the blame of the trans like individuals yeah. um, because it like, you have to go like day to day to day of your life, like not being treated like a person and recognized mm -hmm. as an equal human being to have to like, to have the fear of having to be faced that in like a time of need is, is it, there's, there's so much stressors going on um, when you're like in, you know, physical pain or mental like pain, like it's, it's awful. Um, so to have that like fear, like it makes total sense that you wouldn't want to have to interact with that um, environment. Right. Um, so, you know, there's, that's the thing too, with a lot of like the trans experience, there's so many people love to throw around our statistics, but there's so many statistics that slip through the door because people aren't in positions where they can talk about it safely. Right. Um, so. Yeah. So many of us don't have the privilege of being out um, and living as the identity that we um, know ourselves to be. Um, and that <laughs> um, it's so important, like when we're talking about um, trans, the trans community, and, and especially in this episode, the Trans Day of Remembrance, about Trans Day of Remembrance, sorry, um, we, um, we really acknowledge like the amount of trans people that have obstacles like this obstacle um, that is disallowing them from being um, um, out and from being um, even participating in these statistics. Um, I think it's so important to mention. Thank you. Um, and yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I really like when, when so much, so when so many of us are um, really struggling to find the adequate um, trans healthcare we need, um, putting more obstacles in front of us is hateful <laughs> and um, actively results in the loss of lives um, really um, at the end of the day. Um, and th with that being said, I do also want to shout out my own personal experience with Planned Parenthood um, and its um, relevance to, um, and its um, um, exceptional um, ability to care for trans people. Um, it's been a safe place um, to, um, 
for many people in my community to get the hormones that they need to get the um, to move on their journey of transitioning in the way that they need, as well as um, for um, someone who like myself who does not require um, who does not desire transition at uh, medical transition transition at this time to still get the trans affirmative care that I need as an AMAB person that's non-binary. Um, so special shout out to Planned Parenthood. Please um, look into your local Planned Parenthood. Um, um, if you're listening to this and, and you're looking for healthcare and see what they can provide for you. There should be a link um, in the description of this episode as well. Yes, yes, there will be. Um, so um, moving on, um, um, <laughs> in the United States, um, there are actually only 15 states where transgender individuals are fully protected. And these states are California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Colorado, Minnesota, Illinois, New York, Maine, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, Vermont, and Washington, D.C. Um, one-fifth of the United States. I mean, not fit what, yeah, um, it feels like one-fifth of the United States, a little, a, a bit over that, um, that we are fully protected as trans people. Yeah, shout out to the Portlands for being the best cities. Um, we got, we got that Maine and Oregon uh, Portland action going, but yeah, it's, it's so, it's wild, right? Like there are that many states where we're like, where transgender people are not seen as equal humans. Right. Um, yeah, it's um, once again, shameful and unforgivable. Um, it's something, but unforgivable yet, something that we should be actively moving towards. You know, um, let's be, um, if you live in the other like um, 45 states that are, or 35 states, sorry, <laughs> that are um, not listed, um, push for that legislation. Like, like let's, um, let's start identifying where um, trans people are not getting the legislative um, protections that they should, uh, that other Americans are having, um, or other people. Um, everybody should get protections whether or not they have citizenship here. Um, 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 if we're in these states, let's identify why, um, what, is stop, what is stopping this um, and um, um, how we can move forward. I'm including a link in the description to um, the Transgender Law Center who has an equality map um, that depicts um, the level of um, um, trans pro legal protections in each state. Um, so please do check that out as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel for um, for folks, and I I'm going to acknowledge that this is this is a huge position of like privilege um, to even be like considering about this um, yeah. as like someone that's trying to pursue grad school. I know personally that that map has been incredibly helpful, um, and just like knowing like like right, and it's it's I and it's not my experience is not the only experience with this. So that there's like a lot of us you know trans people within academia that are like we have to like literally limit our our futures based on where we can be able to if I got hurt I could go to the emergency room I wouldn't have to worry about not being treated um or like right I couldn't get evicted from my housing because I'm a trans person um so I that map has been incredibly helpful um for just planning out grad school because there's so many 
professors that are like, oh, there's so plenty, there's a ton of, um, you know, programs that you can get into, like, just go to this state. And I was like, well, we can't actually. Um, right. And, you know, I, I'm putting it through an academia lens because we're at a university, but like, right, that applies mm-hmm. for like jobs too. Like there's so many yeah. people that are like professionals um, in their fields um, that can't go like where they want and need to go because of like these like discriminatory like laws or lack thereof of protective laws. So um, use that for your own, you know, safety and future planning. Yes. <clears throat> yes, please. Um, please do. And um, shout out to everybody in these states where you don't have full protection. So many people are um, either like deciding to put themselves um, in, in, um, um, in um, sorry, at, at risk um, in this way. Um, and some people don't have a choice um, either way. So um, I really like if you are in a state where you are um, protected under the law, like um, Quinn and I are both in Oregon, um, let's really um, do what we can to uplift our um, our trans siblings, our trans community across the US um, that aren't protected in this way. You know, um, let's let's continue. Um, let's shift that focus because um, this should be <laughs> um, this should be a big thing. This should be something that everybody knows of, and it's something that we should be actively changing because um, <laughs> this is a, a greater issue than a marriage, which we followed like um, um, oh. like like horse races. Honestly, <laughs> um, yeah. um, this is about people being able to exist and have the same rights that everybody else does. Um, um, so let's not only like educate ourselves um, using the tools that we're providing in this episode, um, but also like let's push ourselves to um, really make um, substantial change. Yeah, let's change that moral and social like stigmatization that yes. leads to all of this. Yes. Yes, definitely. And we'll continue to talk about that um, cultural, um, the cultural part um, portions of. Um, transphobia that uplift and uphold these harmful and anti-trans um, legislatures and laws. Um, so um, let's move on to um, talking a little bit about the trans shelter bans that have just recently um, <laughs> been um, um, proposed. So the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, also referred to as HUD, um, guided by the current administration, has proposed a roll a rollback um, to the 2012 Equal Access Rule that gave protection to everyone seeking shelter, regardless of their gender identity. This proposed change would allow federally funded sex segregated shelters to turn away trans people on the basis of their gender identity. As houselessness continues to rise, this already vulnerable community is being put at an even greater risk. I just want to point out that um, this is once again, like um, this is announced this summer um, in July and um, um, horrible timing. Like let's like once again point out that like this, um, um, how how like um, inopportune or just not that there would ever be an opportune time, but how horrible like it is to do this now when um, houselessness um, the rates of houselessness is rising um, and people are losing their jobs, people are losing their homes when we haven't, you know, had any sort of um, rent freeze at all since um, the pandemic has started. Um, like, let's, re- like, I just want to point out that this, that this um, isn't, um, absolutely does not feel like a coincidence. 
you know, um, the, these proposed changes um, are um, um, very much feel like an attack from my perspective. And um, they absolutely are like an attack on the trans community and on trans lives. Um, everybody needs yeah. shelter. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. And thankfully, this seems to be soon to be previous administration, right? Like when the pandemic hit, um, the funding for like um, Native American communities was like cut or completely withheld. Um, they started rolling out all of these, um, you know, ro rolling back or rolling in these legislations um, to attack, you know, queer um, and transgender individuals. Um, so it, it's very, it's very, like you just gotta call it as you see it. It is incredibly targeted discrimination mm -hmm. to, like harm, like actively harm, and and by effect kill our mm -hmm. our minority communities. Um, like not to not to say wild things, but like if you like look at it, like you gotta call it as you see it. Um, and it's it it is right. Like it's it's gross. It feels awful. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and and transgender youth are like disproportionately houseless. So it's not, mm -hmm. you're not just harming like adults. These are kids that have done nothing wrong um, that, you know, are put at ex like extreme risk. Like it's not, it is not a like fun or easy life to have to be houseless. It is like difficult um, and no one should be period, but especially kids. Um, so it just, it yeah. hurts. <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely hurts. And I just want to like encourage um, those listening to us to take a moment ourselves. If you don't want to take what we're saying at face value, think to yourself what the ramifications of being turned away from a, a shelter is, you know, um, really think about like, especially during a pandemic, um, some of the, um, our majority of our shelters um, that I've seen and been to have um, been either federally or religiously funded. And if both of these places are turning away trans people, where do we have to go? Um, so I really want y'all to sit with that and think about that, um, uh, um, please. <laughs> and really um, like, let's, like, like I've said, like let's stand up and push back against this legislation. Um, because the, as far as I was able to find, this has not been um, put into effect yet. Um, but let's um, I'll obviously double check that and let's continue to push back against legislation, this legislation and legislation like this. Um, so moving on to another um, trans ban, the trans military ban, um, which um, in April of 2019, um, the trans, the Trump, sorry, the Trump administration, too many TRs and I don't like that. <laughs> um, uh, the Trump administration implemented a ban on all transgender in individuals serving in the military, referred to as the Mattis Implementation Report. This ban is still in effect today and forces AMAB trans people to sign up for the draft invalidating their identity and exposing their transness to the US government without even letting us serve our own country. This archaic and shameful legislation does not allow transgender Americans to serve their country like cisgender Americans are able to do. And, and I'll go into detail later on in the episode just about, talks a little bit more about like the selective service, um, which is what signing up for the draft is um, and how it discriminates um, against uh, trans folk in a variety of different ways, um, besides it being 
archaic and sexist and all, all those other all those other things um but but yeah no it's the military ban is a whole yeah it, um, it's wild and it, it, it i actually i'm a, while reading about this i learned about tava which is the um let me sorry hold on look up one second um it is the transgender um ooh, um american veteran association um which was developed which um has been developed and um like decades ago and was has been doing a lot um to support um people in the um, trans people in the military trans people who have been kicked out of the military um during these times so if you are a trans veteran yourself and you're listening to this podcast i'm going to link their website in the description um because i think like we <laughs> I'm I'm not very familiar with what has happened to the trans people in the military that um, have been forced out, you know. Um, and I know there's a lot of benefits. There's a lot of aid that comes with being um, a part of the military. Um, and so, if if um, you yourself are listening to this and needing that um, support because you have lost um, your um, aid because of this ban, um, please check out TAVA. They are a fantastic um, um, organization ran by trans veterans. And I think just mentioning too that where, where the their, uh, proof of the necessity of this ban um, was all around the cost of medical transition around transgender individuals, which I want to just stress and point out again, not every trans person wants or needs to medically transition. Um, yes. So costs vary. Also, statistically, there's that fun like joke about how much the US military spends on Viagra. Um, just wanna stress again, that that dwarfs the cost of any like any trans healthcare that could possibly like come out of the military. Um, and and also like pointing out that that stigmatization are, are that, that were pathologized, our gender dys dysphoria is a pathologized thing. They're using that as a way to like state, oh, well, they're, you know, uh, could potentially, they're, they're not, we can't use them in like active combat or other scenarios such as that because they have a mental disorder. Um, right. So there's, it, I, again, that pathologization just keeps perpetuating um, hateful and harmful um, culture and legislative issues. Yeah, it excuses this discrimination yes. and gives like, like we've discussed earlier, um, something that um, <laughs> we can easily, um, uh, like bigots and ignorant people can easily point out to, ex to invalidate us in our existence. Um, so uh, understanding the base of this, as well as like understanding the branches of this issue, like this, um, the pathologization of, of trans people has effects that impacts so many areas of our lives. Um, so um, moving on um, a little, let's bring this topic a little bit closer to home, um, back to PSU. Um, and let's talk about PSU emails. So although you can change your name in Portland State's, State's records, um, including what name comes up with your email, Portland State cannot change your email itself. Because our emails are generated based on the name we enter Portland State with, many people are stuck with their dead name on their PDX email. 
If you go through the name override process at, at PSU, I'm including a form in our description, um, you are able to change both your first name and last name in Portland system. Yes, and Portland State system, sorry. Um, yeah, like I said, a lot of our emails are stuck with our dead name within them. Um, so being stuck with our dead names popping up frequently in our PSU email is harmful as a um, as a, especially if those of us are employees, we tend to see our um, emails a lot. Um, and it takes a quite a toll over time. Um, not only does it reveal us as trans, um, a privilege we alone should hold, it is a repeated reminder of a discarded identity that is often painful for us to be reminded of. Um, the, like I said, like this has, like this um, is actively harmful. Um, this, um, not only um, can lead to people being dead named um, or um, exposed to their dead name, um, it can also like um, out people as trans when they don't want to be, when they um, um, have every, when we all have every right to be able to um, disclose our transness at our own pace, you know? Um, yes, <laughs> absolutely. I. I, I think that it's right, like it, it's great that we offer like preferred name guides, you know, like like mm -hmm. that idea of like you can change your preferred name um, before you have it like as your legal name um, is great, but um, right, like we, you, it's, it's cool to like get small wins, but it doesn't change like the status, like, you know, the status quo, like it's still, it's still not okay. Um, right. And I, I, you know, there, I don't know what it'll take to change that or make that an option for people, but it, it needs to be talked about, especially, you know, as an institution that states that we like honor and care for our queer community, we should be, you know, continuing to push the boundaries. We shouldn't just reach a bound, like break one boundary and be like, oh, you know, wipe my hands of that. We're done. We did it. We, right. we support the trans people. It's like, no, it's, it's an, an everyday thing and, and continuing to break down um, the systemic issues. Yes, absolutely. I agree. And it's something that like, um, it's an easy way to show our support for the community. And there, I just want to make it clear that there is a need. Any PSU person that is listening to this, whether you are an employee, a student, an administrator, let's make this clear. There is a need for this change. Um, and then this, um, the more that this does not change, the more pain that it causes. Um, so let's really like listen to us when we're talking about this and this pain and let's push for a change, whether you are um, whether you have the most power in PSU or whether um, you are not even a part of PSU and you just want to send an email, you know, say, hey, let's let's let people um, have emails that don't dead name them, you know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, that's just um, that's just, it's something um, that people may perceive as um, as varying levels of significance, but I want to make clear that it's very important and very much takes us to a toll. Absolutely. I kind of like my two like last thoughts on it. Just want, want to shout out to the QRC or Queer Resource Center on campus. Yes. They do do um, like set 
like evenings where they'll help you with this whole process. Um, whether you're just doing like the um, within the PSU system name overrides, or if you have all of your legal paperwork um, taken care of already and want to do all of those overrides within the PSU system, um, they have people there that are willing to help you. Um, so just shout out to that, um, that those resources, um, like Josh said, will all be um, in the description. Um, but then also just it's like another like thing, like it, it has like ramifications for students that are trying to network, um, whether you're a student employee um, or if you're trying to pursue grad school, when your email doesn't reflect who you are as a person, it's like, am I, who am I talking to? Like what? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think that that's also like worth, like if we're trying to like push for like the success of people, we should make sure that weird little, weird seemingly little barriers like that just, aren't there yeah absolutely I I totally agree and like I said like it it, it takes the ability to um, disclose our transness out of our hands um, especially like in um, and this can be harmful in cases like you're saying Quinn um, where we're applying for grad school whether or not um, we have the legal protections and I know you can't see my air quotes uh, listeners um, but uh, they're there um, although we have the legal protections um, at different um, universities across the nation um, being trans still holds um, these judgments from a lot of people being um, and disclosing your transness can um, bring forth that transphobia that discrimination whether or not you intention whether or not you want to bring it on which i'd never want to bring that on personally um or if um the person that is receiving these emails or you're contacting with is intentionally trying to discriminate against you you know our transness is something that we should alone should be able um to disclose um so let's just make that change um so let's move um on to fafsa um and the um, FAFSA gender marker change. The Selective Service and Draft is already a heated topic for many, but it also presents a harmful barrier to transgender individuals seeking out federal financial aid. The amount of bureaucracy that transgender folks seeking out to legal uh, social transition have to go through is daunting and astonishing to say the least. Um, having personally gone through it myself, I can tell you from experience, it is a process that takes weeks of waiting um, and paperwork, hours of research to even understand where to start, hours upon hours of waiting in lines um, at various agencies and hundreds of dollars. I will say, um, if there are any trans folks that are listening to this episode and want help, don't be discouraged. The QRC has representatives that are willing to help and many of us who have gone through the process already are more than happy to give advice. There are also organizations who will give financial support and advocacy to help walk you through this convoluted process. However, I want to stress, if you're a cis ally, I would encourage you to not just brush this off and think we're being taken care of. Please know, while we're managing and helping each other navigate these systems, they should not remain the status quo. Um, so just to kind of give you like a little background and information on what the Selective Service is, any U.S. citizen who is assigned male at birth is legally required to register with the Selective Service within 30 days of turning 18. If they do not, it is punishable with prison time of up to five years and $250,000 in fines. Federal financial aid, the FAFSA, is tied up with a compliance of this. Even though there is currently a transgender ban within the U.S. military, trans individuals are still required to comply with this. Trans feminine and non-binary individuals who legally change their gender marker from M to F uh, or X still have to sign up for the Selective Service at the age of 18, regardless if they've already legally changed their gender marker or not. 
It is worth noting that gender marker options other than F or M are not federally recognized, meaning that non-binary and gender non-conforming individuals face the burden of being forced to carry identification that does not reflect who they are um, or being caught up in a process that could cause um, problems with their ability to easily obtain and utilize a passport and other federal support, even if their state um, recognizes their identity. Um, if you are a transmasculine individual who wants to go through the process of legally changing your gender marker from F to M, then you are not required to register for the Selective Service. However, once you legally change your gender marker to M, it will be flagged um, on your federal financial aid, uh, meaning you will need to go and request what is called a status information letter, or an SIL. A process that costs more money is because of postage um, and more time waiting on said postage um, and going through the whole process of filling it out in the first place. Um, the form also includes um, derogatory terminology. Um, information on how to request this form will be included in the episode description. However, uh, I want to state that it is incredibly binary um, and only gives a few perspectives, adding to more confusion and misunderstanding the subject. Um, while the SIL will not state why you are exempt, some academic institutes, Portland State being one of them, will require you to turn in a letter that explains why you're exempt, forcing transgender individuals to out themselves when they may not be comfortable doing so. And this isn't just a one-time thing, this is a yearly thing. Anytime you turn in your FAFSA, you must turn in your SIL, even though the documentation for that does not change. And on top of all of this, the fact that transgender individuals are at higher risk of being abused and abandoned by their families. With this, those under the age of 24, the arbitrary age that the federal government views as an independent student, um, if you're pursuing a bachelor's degree and do not have dependents who receive more than half of your financial support, um, there comes even more paperwork to prove their abuse and abandonment by their family. Every year, estranged transgender students have to write out a letter and submit it to financial aid documenting this. It adds more stressors and burdens onto a student population that faces, on average, greater challenges already in entering into and maintaining a place within academia. This is a national problem, not just a PSU-exclusive one, but is one with many barriers that can hold transgender individuals back from being able to thrive. So let's move on to a conversation about culture, um, starting with culture within Portland State. Um, Oh, yeah, no. So I, I want to point out that we do, again, here's that, 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 yes, Portland State is less transphobic than a lot of places, but, but there's still systemic transphobia, like mm -hmm. all over wherever you look. Um, uh, so, so, like, it's great to like pat ourselves on the back and like say, oh, we did that, those few things, um, but we need to keep like pushing for it um, to like break down those moral um, and social, those perceived moral and social um, like stigmas um, that have been thrown on the community. Um, PSU really needs to, we need to keep like pushing for like accountability and, and tangible change. Um, right now, we, we, there, there is the ability to like, if you experience discrimination or you witness someone just experiencing discrimination um, on campus, you, you can report it, but the way to report it, it's not anonymous um, and it's convoluted. And I just want to like, uh, kind of like give a shout out. I feel like a lot of people when they hear like, oh, we're going to report you. It, it's coming from like a place of like malicious, like we want you fired and to lose your job. Um, it, it's coming from a place of, we see that you are ignorant on this topic and you're actively causing harm to other people. We want you to be educated so that you can stop hurting other people around you and you can kind of understand you know your privileges and the the damages that you can cause other people because right like i at least for myself i believe that most humans are, are fundamentally like want to do good and want to support and uplift the people in their community 
sometimes just fear or biases or ignorance get in the way of that. Um, and so if, if we see those fear or biases or, or ignorance harming other people, we wanna be able to call that out in a way that we keep the people that are experiencing that discrimination safe. Um, and so the people that are perpetrating the discrimination can be held accountable and be educated on what they're doing. Um, you know, and if the situation is bad enough, yeah, there might be, you know, more extreme ramifications, but at the heart of it, it's really about like education um, and protecting people, um, keeping yeah. people safe. Um, yeah, protecting the people that are experiencing the harm um, and being able to bring in the people, um, to bring in the people that are causing harm so that they can instead support and uplift. Um, I've done I've done my own um, reports personally around uh, in this process around um, um, being um, misgendered um, and the ramifications were little and to the person doing um, the harm and it pushed them to actually get some sort of education. Um, so I want to um, attempt to like diminish that fear around that. And I know that like, there's a lot of stigma about having that like, oh, Karen energy, don't wanna talk to the manager. But like when we, when we as trans people are actively being disrespected or harmed, we need to um, stand up for ourselves or attempt to reach out to get advocacy. Um, if we can't stand up for ourselves, let's um, have, find someone that can uplift us. And through this process, um, we, um, it can happen. <laughs> yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is really making it so it's easier to, um, you know, disclose um, like discriminatory incidences instead of it having to be right now, right? Like you call or you write an email that's linked to who you are. Some yeah. people, there's, there's, there's legitimate like fear um, that comes around with having to like, right? Like if you look at any any sort of like like perpetration like situation mm -hmm. where someone has to like disclose something that happened to them, like victims or you know I, I use that word, but like people that have been um, like targeted in some way, like disclosure is hard and it's scary, and so anything that we can do to like alleviate that um, means more disclosure, which means more education, which means less ignorance, which means less perfect like perpetuation of these kind of environments. Um, so I, I would say that it, like one like cultural change that we could like, you know, push for is just having that, um, you know, disclosure process be more anonymous, having it be more acceptable yeah. instead of it being like that, like, yes, for some instances there, you know, you, there, there might be a desire to have more follow-up um, with the person that experienced those things, but we also need to acknowledge like we, 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 we can't know things if people don't feel safe to disclose things. So let's create a feeling of safety for that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I love that, like that natural transition to like um, what um, change we want to see. So I love that as the change that we want to see, making that um, this um, reporting process um, anonymous. Um, I'd also love, personally, I'd love to see, um, and you talked a little bit about this, Quinn, um, I'd love to see, um, greater education, specifically around transness, um, obviously, and specifically around pronouns, even more so. Um, mo most of my issues um, around my transness at Portland State has been the disrespect of pronouns by professionals often. Um, mm -hmm. We absolutely need to be and should be um, 
training all of our staff, um, professors included, about trans identities and how to respect them and, unlift, uh, and uplift them and their voices. Um, I, that education is essential to our success as un trans university students um, and would eliminate a lot of the pain that I personally am experiencing as a trans person at Portland State. Um, and I know that many other people are as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, it, a thousand percent, yes. I, it's right, it's like one thing that we slap pronouns on all of our name tags mm -hmm. and we say like, oh yes, like in like professional business meetings, I'll go around in a circle and like say these things, but like, where's the, where's the follow through with that? Um, it can't, it can't be performative. It needs to be, to be an ally cannot be performative like once or twice a year. It needs to be a continuous daily thing. And right, mm -hmm. and like, we're all gonna make mistakes. Like, right, like even us trans folks, we make mistakes sometimes or we like slip up or like something happened. And that's, you, you need to acknowledge it and correct it and do, you know, do what you need to do to make it right with the other person and then like move on and learn from that mistake and better yourself. Like that's what it's about. So if you've made a mistake in a class, don't just like brush over, like if you're like a professor, don't just like brush over it or like, like make a huge scene about it and then put it, the burden on that person. Like you need to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, correct yourself and then educate yourself. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so at, at Portland State, like, let's make that information and educational materials accessible, you know, so people so firstly, like, trans people don't have to be harmed, like harmed emotionally, um, um, or like um, in these social situations, um, and then educate at the same time, you know, um, let's make these um, materials accept accessible so that um, the people that are causing harm can educate themselves, you know? Um, and I think that um, really kind of transitions us well into our next topic um, about culture, um, which is um, the varying privileges of trans people. As I talk about um, in the beginning of this episode, Quinn and I are only two people in the trans community. We are two drops in the bucket and we have very different perspectives ourselves, but we are coming to this conversation with our the lenses that we have developed through our lives. Um, and um, I wanna firstly point out that like trans people come from every walk of life. Um, we are a fantastic and beautiful and diverse community that um, is made up of people from all over the world and from, um, um, from every background that you can imagine. Um, so I, want, I just wanna make that clear. Um, and that trans people is transness is not exclusive to something um, to one um, section of people, um, and that our transness changes a lot from person to person. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about our own personal personal positionality, um, starting with myself. Um, Josh, as you're listening to it. Hello, that's me. Um, <laughs> so like I've said in the beginning of this episode, I use they, them pronouns. Um, I am non-binary. I identify as a gender um, and queer in both gender and sexuality. Um, I am a white person, but I am I'm also a Latinx person. Um, and and bringing the, I bring those lenses into this conversation. Um, I'm someone, I grew up in California in a very wealthy neighborhood, um, uh, county, um, and um, have only recently um, 
been learning um, about um, the 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 great class divides between many trans people. Um, so I just want to be um, cognizant of my own privilege within this um, conversation um, and how that impacts um, this. Um, and I also want to give Quinn the opportunity to um, do the same. Yeah. Um, so y'all probably know Quinn. I use he, him pronouns. Um, I identify as I'm a trans man. Um, I'm also a gay man. Um, I'm uh, white um, with native heritage. Um, and so I, I'm white passing. Um, so, and as a, a white passing man, I, there's a lot of, of privilege that I, you know, hold with that um, compared to some other, you know, other trans um, people. There's, right, like if we're talking like intersectionality, there's all those layers add on to things. Um, I grew up um, in a low um, rural kind of poor socioeconomic status, um, but I currently um, am in higher education. Um, and so will therefore like, you know, change my socioeconomic status. Um, I grew up in rural Oregon um, and I'm here in, in Portland now. Um, so I bring all of those kind of perspectives to the table. Thank you so much for talking about that. I think it's so important when having these conversations to understand where, um, what, what we're bringing to this conversation and what lens we're looking at this at. Um, we um, recognize that we are often not the demographic that um, is receiving the violence that we're hearing about um, on a daily basis. And we want to um, make, take special notice um, to when you're thinking about, you're thinking about caring for trans people, when you're thinking about caring for the trans community, we need to be putting black women, black femmes um, and, um, at the top of our priority list. We need to be giving the, the most possible care we absolutely can. And we know what this care is by talking to trans femmes, um, black trans femmes, and uh, talking about what their specific needs on, on an inch and on, on what their, sorry, um, let black um, trans femmes talk about what their needs are on an ind individual basis as well as on a community basis and move from there. Um, we, we hope to continue to um, bring more and more um, voices of different trans people as we continue these conversations. Um, due to COVID, there are some restrictions and it was difficult to do so, um, but I'm so blessed to have um, Quinn here with me today. Um, and um, again, I just want to um, reiterate, like, let, let's be conscious of the privileges that we hold in every community that we are with, our, that we are in, whether um, even though we are a part of a large marginalized community, Quinn and I, we have certain privileges um, and everybody walks through the world differently. Hi, um, a special shout out to, um, and link will be to it um, in the description. There's so many resources in this episode, but one yes. huge one um, to highlight is the Trans um, Women of Color Collective. They do wonderful um, work and outreach. And if you've got the coin, you should definitely um, you know, donate to them. I know money is super tight for all of us right now, but even a couple of bucks can go a long way. Um, and then, yeah, just educate yourself about other trans experiences because we get so whitewashed in the terms of all trans people are this way and then I like and it erases so many different like diverse like you know voices and and, and perspectives and identities and tr like trans is just one small part of a person um mm -hmm. I mean it, it, it's a it's a big small part but right like <laughs> there's so much 
so much more to people than just one aspect of their identity. Um, so I think just like trying not to um, erase the person with a label is an important kind of thing to talk about too. Yeah, I, I agree. Not lumping us all together. Each trans person is different. And although we may be a, um, a strong community um, connected by our transness, all of us belong to other communities as well. Um, awesome. Um, awesome. So let's move on. Oh, yeah. So a, a topic that kind of like flows fairly well, like off of the idea of like, like checking your privilege and acknowledging like your positionality um, is that mm. like, being open to criticism, right? And like this applies to like a big one is our, our, our cis allies, like please like be open to criticism, like acknowledge that you are going to make mistakes. You do not have this experience. You do not have this identity. So you do not understand or know. You, you won't be able to understand. You'll be able to like, you know, advocate for us and empathize. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, you're, we're, pro we're, not, we're not trying to, to call you out or, or hurt your feelings. We're just trying to, like educate you so again going back to like that you're not your ignorance isn't perpetuating harm um but it also goes to like like trans folks too right like i like i said i i'm, I'm a trans man i i have that experience i don't i'm i'm not a trans woman i'm not a non-binary person i don't have those experiences like i don't i can I empathize oh, like arguably like more strongly than like a like a cis person could with those experiences but those are not my experiences or my story um, so there's, there's been plenty of times where, um, you know, when I was first getting involved, like within like the greater trans community, but I, I said something stupid or I just didn't understand. And someone was like, Hey, no, like this is, this is how it is. Like, say it like this, like, you know, like you, it takes running into it. Like, you know, you, you got to fall off your bike a couple of times before you learn how to do it or whatever. I don't know what analogy I'm going mm. with there, but rightly you got to make mistakes to learn and people are are criticizing you because we care. Um, we, we don't want you to hurt other people or, or, or look silly. So so please just like listen. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think that's so important. And really like, um, <laughs> um, while trans people are liberating ourselves in the way that we are now, really becoming members of society in a way that we haven't been in your um, colonial society um, in a very long time, um, <laughs> um, it's uncomfortable. Like this, this part of history is just kind of uncomfortable. We're still learning how to ad, um, adequately express um, express respect to trans people in the way that we do for um, binary cis people or cis people, binary cis people, the binaries. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, we um, this is a process, and and the way that you helped um, push. Um, history forward in a more accepting and loving and liberating way for all of us is by um, listening to us, <laughs> you know, listening to us, letting us um, tell you how to refer to us, letting us tell you how to respect us, um, and um, actually following that. Like, of course, like we are really attempting to push ourselves, to really propel ourselves um, to the position that cis people have already. Um, so let's make this easier, you know, um, and list and allow us to have, um, allow us to get, um, keep our power throughout this process, you know? Absolutely. Um, awesome. So um, our last point of this conversation um, 
goes along um, with this and is something where we will often, um, where you as a cis person, if you're listening, um, or um, even um, you as a trans person, if you're listening, um, this is something that we often are um, confronting a lot or something that may very well open us up to criticism. And that is respecting identities and pronouns. So um, firstly, I want to mention that you cannot assume a gender through appearance. Um, to account for this personally, um, I use gender neutral language and pronouns for a person until they affirm their um, preferred language um, to me. So, um, um, or, and oftentimes, um, I will often give them the opportunity to speak. You know, let trans people speak for ourselves. Um, let, let us tell you who we are. Let us um, give, allow us the space um, to safely tell you who we are and um, listen to us when we tell you that. Um, um, I, um, something that goes along with this respect is, um, um, disrespect is a form of punishment. Um, this is something that Quinn and I have um, been talking about um, quite a bit actually, because it is so prevalent in our community, um, not only from um, <laughs> disrespect in this way um, can look like um, you, somebody you um, once knew or enjoyed um, or followed or whatever, um, um, says something problematic or harmful or hateful to you or your community, and then you use that as an excuse to disrespect their um, pronouns, their identities, um, or etc. Um, we, as trans, as a trans person myself, like I've experienced this and I've seen this a lot in our community, especially when it comes to trans women. Um, we are often like, um, and aren't really like binary trans folks when we are not, um, when they, I'm not binary, <laughs> when, when, when um, binary trans fo folks are able, um, are um, step out of the line of their roles, um, those societal BS, total like incorrect lines, um, we're often the uh, binary trans people will often be misgendered or um, or told that they're not the gender that they um, uh, or say that they're not their gender enough, you know, um, and that is complete and blatant disrespect. Um, we are it is 2020 um, and people can act as they please um, in terms of their the roles that they fill. Um, Absolutely, I I just. I feel like I see it a lot within like media coverage um, mm -hmm. and and right like the media is for better or worse it is a powerful thing um, right and it's they're setting the precedent that oh you right like our justice system is so flawed and that's a whole other <laughs> whole other conversation right but like the idea right. of everything is you are innocent and proven guilty um, so these are just you know presumptive accusations against like trans people like initially in the media um, and mm -hmm. they're saying just even even if you have just like a, an accusation, like suddenly your identity gets revoked, like, um, and it's it, it's one I I feel it's it's blatant transphobia, um, but especially because it's it's so disproportionately targeted of trans women. It is such a like a misogynistic, like gross, gross thing. Um, and so I think like right like being able to like as much as we can like call that out. Like these, like media agencies shouldn't be able to like get away with that just because, right? Like, like we're 
regardless of if what somebody does is is awful or horrible at the end of the day they are still a person and mm -hmm. if we want to we should be everyone should strive to be the better person in this every situation right like they're human i'm human so i'm going to acknowledge them as a human and how they want to be acknowledged um it doesn't seem like a hard thing to me um it it always i I say this so cynically, it makes me laugh when I see how people contort and go out of their way to misgender um, trans people. Or like, mm -hmm. right, like within articles, I'm always like reading so many like psychology articles and they're like, oh, she or or he, or like, it's like, y'all could have just said they, <laughs> and it covers everything. Um, right. It's, it's so, so, so ridiculous. Just like, gotta, gotta push publications and push the media to like stop <laughs> just stop it like honestly it, it harms everybody yes definitely let's recognize that this disrespect is a form of violence you know like disrespect of a trans person identity disrespect of a trans person's pronouns um, are both acts of violence um and these often translate into direct um, physical harm to trans people um so understand where your disrespect is leading to and, and understand where your disrespect is coming from when it when it happens. Um, the last point that I want to make um, that goes along with this and can um, further uplift trans people is um, let trans people tell our stories and let trans people speak for ourselves. Um, we are past the point that it is, and I don't think this point should have ever existed, where it is acceptable for cis people to be playing trans peoples in movies, television, um, etc. Um, it's not okay. There are plenty of trans people that need work. There are plenty of trans people that are beautiful. All of us, hello, we're all fucking beautiful and we deserve this um, respect um, as well. Um, yeah, there's so. I mean Oh, there's again, I think you said it already, but like it's it's 2020. We are we are two decades into this century. Mm -hmm. um, there is no reason we have the Internet like casting is not that like, you know, you can snag a bunch of different people. Like there's no reason why anybody should be playing a minority group or identity group that they are not a part of. Like, let's give people jobs who can reflect like right? Like, what, wouldn't you so much rather have like an authentic story um, than, you know, someone who doesn't like get it? Like you can, right. you can like pretend, but you could pretend better if you have more of an empathetic connection with it. Uh, but that's a whole. Yeah, definitely. And seeing um, <laughs> cis people playing trans people, um, <laughs> further perpetuates the idea that we are pretending to be a gender, you know, or that we are just this gender acting to be this other gender, you know, and that's really not the case. So um, let's uplift each other um, or let, yeah, let's uh, uplift each other as people and cis people that are listening, please, um, let's continue to um, enforce this culture, you know, to, um, uh, or um, empower this culture because we deserve we have so often not been able to tell our stories and we like everybody else need to <laughs> um so um i that's the end of our conversation um and i appreciate you so much quinn for being a part of this i appreciate you i'm so i'm so grateful that we were able to 
to put this all together and be able to dialogue about this because it's how how like just real I just want to like nerd for like two seconds and just like take a second to like appreciate right like how lucky and awesome it is that we have a team where we have two trans individuals that are able to record an entire like episode about issues that are important to our community like that is that is progress that is a beautiful thing to see happen and I'm grateful that we could be a part of it so yeah, I agree. And this is actually, uh, we've done, we've done multiple episodes about transness now. And this is, although this is a more reverent topic than our trans empowerment episode, I think it is um, just as important and just as valid for everybody to listen to. Um, and although our, our, conver- our conversation, well, although our conversation was extensive, we are confined by time and we are confined by our own experiences and identities. So I want to um, say that this conversation will be continued in the future, if not by us, then by other um, PSU, trans PSU students. Um, and so I really want to thank everybody for listening to this portion of the episode. And you'll hear a bit from Quinn and I throughout the rest of the episode. As of October 25th, 2020, 34 trans people have been murdered in the United States. This number has been steadily increasing, and the need to recognize the lost lives of our trans siblings grows greater. We are wrapping up this episode by saying the names of the trans people whose murder has been recorded this year, while holding space for those who haven't been named to be recognized. I encourage you to say their names along with me. Dustin Parker Nulissa Luciano Ruiz Yampi Mendez Orocho, Monica Diamond, Lexi, Johanna Metzger, Serena Angelique Velasquez Ramos, Leila Peleas Sanchez, Penelope Diaz Ramirez. Nina Pop, Hallie J. O'Regan, Tony McDade, Dominique Remy Fells, Rhea Milton, Jane Thompson, Selena Reyes Hernandez. Brian Egypt Powers, Brayla Stone, Mercy Mech, Shaky Peters, Bree Black, Summer Taylor, Marilyn Cazares, Dior H. Ova. Kuisha D. Hardy, Aja Raquel Roan Spears, Key Sam, Arian Burnett, Mia Green, Michelle Michelin Ramos Vargas, Felicia Harris.
Brooklyn Deshuna, Sarah Blackwood, Angel Unique, and many more that have occurred since October 25th, 2020, and those who have not been recognized as trans upon their murder. May each and every trans sibling mentioned rest in power and those who have not as well. May those of us who still are alive rise to ensure safety for our trans community. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the What's Up podcast. We'll catch up with you on our next episode, which will be posted every Friday this term. While PSU has gone remote for the time being, we wanted to let you know that Shaq is still here for you. We are fully committed to the physical and emotional health and wellness of PSU students. Please call ahead to use our health services for flu shots, free COVID testing, or general appointments at 503-725-2800. Counseling services are still available via telehealth and you can schedule your appointments by calling that same number 503-725-2800. If you are looking for more health and wellness resources, you can check out our online health magazine that gets sent to your pdx.edu email every Wednesday, or you can download the Campus Well app. You can also check out the virtual MindSpa experience to rest, relax, and rejuvenate wherever you have internet access. We will be including website links in the episode description. We also have a Google form that you can complete with any questions about health, shack, or anything we discuss in the podcast. You can find the link in the episode description. Thanks for listening and take care.